Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens and offer their tips for how you can not only get in the room, but master it just like they did. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can really help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Matt Rhodes, an alumnus of the political management program at GSPM and a veteran of Republican politics. He's perhaps best known for his role as the campaign manager on Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, but he's also worked for President George W. Bush and at the Republican National Committee, as well as co-founding the GOP outside group America Rising. More recently, he partnered with Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Robbie Mook, and Eric Rosenbach, former Defense Secretary Ash Carter's chief of staff, to launch the Defending Digital Democracy Project at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. And he's currently the co-CEO of CGCN Group, an advocacy and strategic communications firm that specializes in helping corporations, nonprofits, and trade associations navigate complex legislative and regulatory issues. And if all that wasn't enough, he'll also be the featured speaker at GSPM's annual Fair and Confident lecture on Thursday, October 24th. For anyone who'd like to see him talk about his election integrity work in the flesh, you can get more info on that at www.gspm.gwu.edu. Matt, it's obvious from that intro that you're a very busy man, so thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Let's start at the beginning. Where does your story begin? Where were you born? Kind of what was your family like? Uh, what was little Matt Rhodes like as a kid? <laughs> Well, thanks for that intro. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be back at uh, GSPM and George Washington University. Uh, I was born and raised and grew up in a town called Saratoga Springs, New York, in upstate New York. Um, I didn't have family involved in politics. Uh, I wasn't engaged in politics as a as a young person, but I grew up following politics. You know, just like I I follow to this day, the New York Jets. But just like uh, being quarterback for the New York Jets, I never thought I could actually work in politics because it seems so far away, especially back then. Uh, you know, you'd watch it on TV and you admire people from afar. And I grew up a huge fan of President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and obviously President Reagan as an 80s kid. Um, and I watched it like I watched sports and, and I followed it and I had people in my family that liked to talk about it, but I didn't even think it was possible. And I was never very serious about thinking that I could make a career or work in politics. It seems so far away. 
So how do you how do you make that? How are your eyes opened? How do you figure out that like this is a thing that somebody yeah. can do for their job? That this is yeah. a thing that you can do. You can be quarterback of the New York Jets, well, right? I can't be <laughs> but, uh, figuratively. So I uh, you know I went to college. You got to go to college, yeah. and I went to Syracuse University, and uh, became a poli sci major. And you know when I started to be at first becoming a poli sci major, I again I didn't I wasn't really serious in thinking about working in politics. I think at the time I was probably thinking about maybe teaching or getting involved in academia somehow, some way. Uh, but over time, I, I started telling myself, if you're a poli sci major, maybe you should you know start to volunteer or think about campaigns. And what happened while I was at SU? is, uh, you know, this was back in 1996, <laughs> we had a presidential campaign, and it really was the first campaign on the internet. Like, you forget, uh, you know, I, I guess it is further away than than most people want to remember, like myself, but, uh, you know, campaigns and candidates were just for the first time having their own websites. Yeah. And so I started surfing on the, the internet, and I ran across a campaign site for a guy named Lamar Alexander. Huh. And lo and behold, he had a grassroots uh, advisor or supporter at SU. And I met this guy who uh, was from Lemonster, Massachusetts. His name was uh, Barry Heighton. And uh, we're still friends to this day. And that's the thing about politics. Once you start meeting people, you become, in many cases, friends friends for life. Yeah. And uh, he was the little Mar rep. I met him. Um, there really wasn't a lot of work to do in upstate New York for Lamar Alexander in 1995. But as we got closer to the New Hampshire primary, uh, I got an email from him and he asked if I wanted to take a week off of school and go with him to go stay at his parents' house on the New Hampshire, Massachusetts border and volunteer for Lamar for a week before the New Hampshire primary. And without even putting any thought in, I was like, of course, like, let's go. And so we drove in a snowstorm and spent a week in New Hampshire. And to me, I've always been a, a presidential uh, politics guy. Yeah. I've worked the midterms and we'll talk about all that. But for me, my passion in politics has always been the presidential campaigns. And New Hampshire is to me just the Super Bowl of politics. And I got up there, we got up there. And I just couldn't believe what, you know, what we saw and the people we were able to meet, the access you had to candidates, meeting Lamar. We could have met every candidate running up in, in tiny New Hampshire uh, and just being a part of something like that. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, Lamar ended up coming in a, a close third in the New Hampshire primary. <laughs> um, but I was, I was ready to go. And so I went back to school after that and figured out how, how do I actually do this? How do I continue to, to build off of that? And I, I eventually interned for the Onondaga County Republican Party. I volunteered for a guy named Dale Sweetland, a great guy who ran for the state Senate out there and uh, got crushed. But uh, it happens sometimes. Became friends with him. Uh, had a great experience myself. And I just started thinking, how do I get to Washington, D.C.? Is it possible? Can I do it? So how what what ended up being your your path? Because everyone who comes to DC has a path, and they're all yeah. unique. But how did you how did you make the jump? The path was the graduate school of political management at George Washington University. So you moved to DC to go to GSPM. Yeah. So I started thinking about how am I going to get to DC? What can I do? Again, I am not a, a politically connected person, so yeah. it wasn't like I was going to have folks in my family 
call up senators or congressmen or whatever and and line myself up with some cushy job. Right. I saw graduate school and the GW program as a way to get down here. And so I applied, I got in. I was pleasantly surprised by that, but uh, I was accepted. <laughs> and so I, I was able to to put together a, a paid internship gig to to get me rolling down here with the college Republicans, the mm-hmm. National College Republicans, which was uh, interesting. I met a lot of people that I still know to this, this day there, my short summer working there. And uh, so I started doing night school at GW, and that's what got me here. That's what showed my parents that I wasn't crazy to come here. At least they knew I was going to go to grad school. So what was what was your you're here you're you're working during the day you're going to school at night. What was your kind of GW experience like? What did you what did you enjoy the most? Was there a particular class or, or something yeah. you studied or a professor who really had an impact on you that you really enjoyed? Yeah. First off, the access that GW gives gives you and and. I, I had to, you know, to support myself, work during the day. And so uh, I, at the same time I started going to GW, I had answered a newspaper ad in roll call. Back then, there used to be these things made of paper called newspapers, <laughs> and they had classified sections in the back. And and so I found an ad in uh, for the Republican National Committee working in research. So I got a job working hourly wages. And I, I try to remember what I was making just at minimum wage circa 1997 with no health benefits, which my mother was not pleased with. So I worked there all day and then I would metro over to Foggy Bottom and go to class uh, three nights a week. And the first thing that it really provided me, especially as I I would move into presidential campaigns, is discipline. Mm. You know, I was uh, at the time at least a very focused young guy. like I didn't have time to go up uh, to the bar scenes up on Capitol Hill, the Cap Lounge and everything else because I was working during the day, going to grad school at night and doing grad work uh, on the weekends. And so it instilled this discipline and just living and breathing politics nonstop. Mm. And so the discipline part was really important. And I, I always found the graduate school program at GSPM to really the things that it did the best for me beyond discipline was it showed me the serious side of this politics that it was, you know, it's a very professional um, school and program and it taught me a very professional approach and how to thinking about politics and the various segments of it. And it kind of cracked the code as well because, you know, you talk about coming to DC and trying to meet people and who you know and who you don't know. Um, I was never, and to this day, I'm never going to be the best backslapper or meet everybody in the world, but GW gave me access to a lot of people. And some of the folks are still professors today here, including Professor Michael Kornfeld, who was a professor of mine way back. He probably doesn't want to admit this back in the late, <laughs> in the late 1990s. Uh, and I learned a lot. It was great. It was great. And I also like the access... To, to professors and teachers on the left and right back back in the day, you know some of the professors I had, Bob Beckel, who mm. ran Walter Mondale's yeah. uh, ill-fitted presidential campaign, was a was a great guy, a great professor to to learn from. Tad Devine, who Tad Devine is still very involved in politics, was a big part of Bernie's uh, 
very powerful, unexpected primary campaign in 2016 for president. And then people on the right as well back then, Jim Pinkerton, who was a big thought leader and to this day I think is still a big columnist, uh, was also a professor. So getting access to those types of people, uh, which seemed very implausible up in Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, when I was young, really helped benefit me in my career and my my confidence. So you you go to GSPM in the late 1990s, as you said, and you go on over the intermittent, however long it's been, 20 years, you've had quite the quite the career you worked for obviously president president bush's reelect uh went to the rnc worked for governor romney in eight and 12 uh and done a bunch of other stuff in between which i talked about in the intro of all that stuff i know i can't talk about all of it because you're a busy man and i can't keep you here all day what would you say is is kind of your favorite job the the thing that you look back on and you're most proud of of being involved in you know i i i've i've been lucky um, you, you know, picking jobs and which one is my favorite. I I would say I've benefited the most from not in a, a particular job that I've had, but the people I've worked for. Mm-hmm. And I have been very lucky to work for candidates that I believe in, whether it's George W. Bush or Mitt Romney, or have direct bosses that really treated me well and gave me opportunities from the very beginning working at the Republican National Committee Barbara Comstock who would later become a congressperson um she was a huge impact in my career Ken Melman who ran the Bush Cheney reelect in in 2004 and I worked for him later on at the Republican National Committee was a great mentor Beth Myers who ran Mitt Romney's first campaign in 2008 um was a great boss and I've had folks at the RNC that I've partnered with like Tim Griffin who you know was my boss and now is the lieutenant governor of Arkansas so working for people that I believe in and having these great bosses you know it it it's hard to pick one that I'm most proud of. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a, a collective that I, I was able to work for with and for so many good people, and that's not always the case. Yeah, I've I've heard there's so many horror stories of right. going off and working on some presidential or congressional campaign and have this nightmare boss, this nightmare experience. Uh, I was very lucky in that regards. I'm sure you, you know, as the the nature of any any career you learn lots along the way and you learn different things in different jobs is there one one of your stops where you felt like you know that was just that was kind of a, a gauntlet of learning right I, I had a lot of challenges and I had to learn a lot but that it kind of informed and shaped the strategist and, and the operative that you became out of that and made you better um, as a result um you know, I, I, working on the communication side of things, you know, I came up uh, working first in research and opposition research just by accident, answering the ad in the in the newspaper. And when I first started in research, research was, wasn't even a part of communications because mm-hmm. the, the internet hadn't transformed politics and communications yet. It would over time uh, quickly. Uh, but soon it became part of the communications lane on, on political campaigns. And so I, w- I would eventually, you know, you said this become Mitt Romney's 
communications director and working in the communication space, uh, especially in politics, you, you got wins and losses all day long and you have to make decisions on the fly. You have to make, you know, decisions about statements you make, fires you put out and just the ability to, to move on from one fire to the next I think was uh, most important. And I was just exposed to that being a part of the communication team, even on the rapid response team on the Bush Cheney 04 reelect. You just don't have time to think about failure or success. Mm. You just move on to the next play. And I think that that kind of shaped my ability and qualifications and how I would eventually head up super PACs or run you know, a presidential campaign was what I learned in that communication space. So just dusting yourself off and getting ready for the next at bat. Yeah. And you mentioned running a, running a presidential campaign, which, you know, effectively that's, that's the apex of your profession, right? That's the, that's the big, that's the Super Bowl. Um, and you were obviously able to do that in 2012 for Governor Romney. That's a really big deal. How do you, as the person, when you sit down in that chair, particularly after you, after after you win the nomination even and you are the republican governor romney is the republican nominee does that how do you kind of process that was it ever overwhelming or is there just so much going on that you you don't even have time to think about honestly that? there is so much going on you never i never had a single moment to enjoy winning the republican nomination <laughs> for president um i never had a chance to 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 sit back and and think about it it was just constant constant motion and moving forward. Um, so there wasn't a lot of reflection during the course of the campaign. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it's always been when you're a part of presidential campaigns in at the highest level, you're really, there, there's not a lot of time to sit back and pat yourself on the back or enjoy the moment Yeah. because there's just a never ending wave of work opportunity. And, uh, unfortunately sometimes threats, to your your candidate's success. Yeah. Thinking back now, having had, you know, however long it's been now, six or seven years since that experience, is there anything that does stand out to you as a favorite story or experience or moment uh, that stands out from that experience in, in 2012? It's Mitt. You know, yeah. I, at the end of the campaign, I was asked, like, you know, losing is horrible, but I, I said I'd rather lose with Mitt than win with anyone else. And I still believe that to this day. And just the time you get to spend with, with a person of Mitt's stature, uh, character, just a profound impact. And, and, you know, before I ran his, his campaign, I, uh, you know, he brought me back up to work, uh, for him in 2010 and I, I ran his political action committee and he was thinking about whether or not he was going to run again in 2012. And so we worked on the PAC and, you know, campaigned for Republicans all across the country. But the PAC was so small. There was about two or three of us. We worked out in Lexington, Massachusetts. And so I got, a, got to spend a lot of uh, QT with the mister, <laughs> and, which was unique because a lot of people that eventually run presidential campaigns sometimes, and these are usually the ones that flame out in the primary or the campaign managers that get fired during the course of the campaign don't get that opportunity to spend as much time. And I had been his comms director, done his morning briefings. I think he kind of kept me around because I, 
I was a truth teller. I had to brief him. I mean, there was a lot of bad info flow in 2008 when you're not winning the the nomination. So he kept me around, brought me back. We got to spend some QT, just like hanging out. Yeah, you know, spending time in in Winnipesaukee, grabbing lunch. You know, just thinking, talking about things. It kind of created an extra level of chemistry, and I, it was just a great honor to to be able to to share time with a guy like like Mitt and the amount you can learn, the wisdom he he passes off just in you know, just sharing a you know lunch together. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned you know wanting to lose with Ned over winning with with you know anybody else. Um, obviously, when history knows how the 2008 campaign turned out, you guys didn't come out on the on the high side of that. I'm always interested with the idea of losing as a part of politics that people rarely see who aren't in politics because um, we we focus on the winner and they're the ones who get the glory and they take yep. the office. But there's a very real personal side of, of losing, especially when you're the candidate because you've put yourself out there and had millions of people in this case, tens of hundreds of millions of people say, you know, not you, not today. Um, as somebody who put so much work, right? And you talked about how it's just always one day after one thing after another every single day, so many hours into that, and then to have it come up short. How do you? Everyone deals with that differently. How did you kind of grapple with that, especially at that at at that high level? You know, first off, I absolutely hate losing. I loathe it. Um, but if you're going to get involved in politics, there's going to be wins and there's going to be losses. And I've learned, you know, when you win, we talked about the Republican, winning the Republican nomination. I didn't even have time to think about that. Right. In 2004, when we were reelected with a, with a mandate over, over Senator John Kerry, that was fleeting. We would soon go on, uh, I would go over to the RNC and we'd successfully lose the House and Senate. So winning is fleeting in politics. Losing is terrible. But what I did, um, and, and not everyone would probably take the same path that I took, but I got back up and got back involved. And I set up a super PAC that didn't exist to benefit Mitt Romney in 2012. I set up a super PAC called America Rising right. and got right back into it. And um, to some, you know, that might not have been the path that they would have taken. Um, I wasn't particularly fond of losing. I wasn't particularly fond of the fact that the Republican Party didn't have all the same tools at that time that the Democrats had at their disposal. So we, I set up America Rising, focused on professionalizing and raising the level of not just opposition research, but also earned media mm-hmm. and building and driving narratives with you know news outlets and social media outlets. And it had a great success and had a profound impact in uh, on the 2014 cycle still exists to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's kind of how I got over it. And it goes back to the communications job. You know, you, you have wins and losses in communication, sometimes on a minute by minute basis on some bad days yep. and you got to dust yourself off and make the decision. You're going to move forward or are you going to sit back and, and, and just, cry in your Cheerios. And I think Mitt's the same way. Mitt obviously dusted himself off and got back in the fight. And he is in the US Senate having a profound impact on the political dialogue and the and the policy debates that we are having in this country right now. 
Fast forward a couple years to after the 2016 election, and I mentioned this in the intro, you obviously came together in a in a very bipartisan fashion with, with Robbie Mook and Eric Rosenbach to launch the Defending Digital Democracy Project at Harvard, which I think is a pretty notable step for a bunch of partisan operatives in, a, in these very highly polarized times to come together and do something like that. How did that kind of that project come together and, and what kind of made clear to you that that was, that was the right move and that was something you wanted to do? Yeah, that, thank you for that question. So I got to meet Robbie Mook, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. After the 16 race, we had a mutual friend that introduced us. And unfortunately for Robbie, he was a, a, becoming a member of a very exclusive club of former uh, campaign managers at the presidential level who have lost. And uh, met him, thought, you know, what a great guy. We talked. Uh, you know, I gave him some some lessons learned on my side and, you know, thought probably never hear from him ever again. Lo and behold, he called me a few months later and he had met a guy named Eric Rosenbach who used to be Ash Carter, uh, chief of staff when Ash Carter was secretary of defense. And they were going to set up a cybersecurity uh initiative at the Belfer Senator at Harvard, and they wanted to see if I wanted to be a part of it. And at the time, you know, we are obviously living in very partisan times, uh, and there was some debate, not a lot, but some debate of whether or not the Russians had meddled in our election in, in, in 2016. And I don't think they changed the outcourse of our election, but certainly they were up to no good. And in 2012, during our primary, we had we had gone through our own foreign hack when the Chinese had hacked into our primary campaign. So I was aware of the threat that existed, not just from foreign threats, but from domestic threats at all. And so I partnered up with those guys, and we tried to create an effort at Harvard that wasn't just focused on you know talking and you know what a lot of people do in academia, but actually delivering some results. And so we worked together, we put together playbooks, uh, documents that could be used by candidates, Democrat, Republican, at, at every level who are running uh, to provide them with the tools necessary uh, to make sure that their campaigns and their candidates from a cybersecurity standpoint were as secure as possible uh, for as little monetary value as they were willing to spend, which no one wants to spend any precious campaign dollars on cybersecurity. We also did a lot of great tabletop exercises where we brought people who, you know, and a lot of folks think that the, the federal government manages our elections, but it's in different every part of the, the country. It's done by cities, counties, states, and we brought, have brought people together from all over the country and had training exercises of how that they can deal with, with cyber threats. And it was a great experience. It's really easy to work with somebody if they're a Democrat, if you want to give them a chance. And Robbie is just a good guy. And so we don't agree on a lot. <laughs> we certainly agree on, you know, the fact that only the American voter should determine the ink, the outcome of any of our elections. Uh, but working together has been pretty easy. Robbie's a good guy. As we kind of get ready to enter another presidential election right now, um, you know, there's obviously tons of candidates out there running on the on the Democratic side, and President Trump's running for re-election. What would you say the state of play is in terms of, you know, campaigns on both sides of the aisle, all up and down the ballot, being ready to defend themselves against those types of, you know, foreign digital attacks? Are we more prepared now than we were, you know, 
a couple of years ago in 2016. I think certainly at the presidential level, presidential candidates are taking the issue much more seriously. And you can see that it's, we know it's happening from meetings we've had behind the scenes um, and even things that they've said publicly, which is great. Um, Robbie and I actually recently in the last few months uh, testified in front of the Federal Election Commission. Hmm. And we were lucky to have a bipartisan set of lawyers, Mark Elias, who was Hillary Clinton's lawyer, um, and Michael Toner, who is uh, actually heads up the, the Trump Legal Defense Fund, was a Bush Cheney uh, campaign finance lawyer. He's best in class. And we testified in front of the FEC and got a waiver uh, from the FEC so that we could begin to in-kind campaign uh, cybersecurity software and advice to candidates, not just at the presidential level, but down ballot. And so I think even when you have entities like the FEC who are willing to take a look at our campaign finance laws and try to do things that make it easier for campaigns to protect themselves, you can see that the dialogue and the threat uh, analysis of this cybersecurity threat has has changed and people take it much more serious. Yeah, that's great. If you look at you know, basically any polling, you'll see that, you know, trust in institutions is kind of at an all-time low right now amongst the American voter writ large, but also particularly among young people. What what advice would you give to a young person uh, on kind of, A, why they should get involved in politics at all and, and want to be a part of this, you know, system that they may not see necessarily as as necessarily working very well right now and b how can they you know find their own voice or their own path or their own lane through which they can you know contribute and participate in our democracy well we certainly live in some pretty partisan times right now and i hope that inspires young people young good people to want to engage even more because we need good people involved in our political system. We need good Republicans. We need good Democrats. We need to to make sure that we have the best minds uh, still wanting to be involved in this. And I think it's a great opportunity for the graduate school here at GW uh, to market itself because we need to, to build and create professional, serious, and ethical people to work not just on our campaigns, but on Capitol Hill, um, in all sorts of government offices across this city and in the industry itself. The Washington, D.C. Uh, industrial complex, <laughs> which exists whether we want it to or not. And so I see it as a, as a calling to hopefully get more people to want to do politics again for the right reasons and the wrong reasons are are having a a non-civil discourse and and you know trying to become a reality star which right. i feel like a lot of our politics has become of late last question for you there there are a lot of opinions about what makes for a successful career and you've obviously had a very successful career in in many different ways and in many different fields on many different levels um, in your experience, what have you found to be most important? What you know or, or who you know? Or in your mind, is it some combination of, of both? I think it's working hard. And if you work hard 
and you have discipline and you come to Washington, D.C., whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, um, there will be a payoff for the, the hard work, the commitment you make in Washington, D.C. And it is not true that you have to know every single person and you have to work every single cocktail circuit because I can look you in the eye on this podcast and tell you I the cocktail circuit and, and glad handing uh, had zero impact because I have zero skill <laughs> at doing that kind of uh, politicking. Like working hard is, is enough to get by in Washington, D.C., more than enough. Matt Rhodes, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us, to share the, the lessons from your long and illustrious career, and uh, we appreciate you uh, talking with our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.